you take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. The Russ Belleville Show. The voice of the marijuana nation. It's like marijuana ought to be legalized. Good people smoke marijuana. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. Good day, tokers and tokettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Monday, March 20th, 2017, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. It's episode number 910, and coming up on today's show, in the news, a U.S. senator is booed when he brings up the debunked gateway theory. In our Cannabis Focus, I examine the latest examples of hypocrisy from Kevin Sabet's Project Sam. In Reefer Madness Debunked, we take on that gateway theory myth to help educate our U.S. senators. In our Cannabis Q&A, Dr. Mitch addresses how legalization hurt beer sales and how prohibition hurts medical research. And in the Radical Rant, I try once and for all to debunk the claim that hemp-derived CBD oil is legal in all 50 states. Then in hour two, we learn how one California senior is facing hostility as he tries to educate other seniors about medical cannabis. But first, let's get to the news. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Now your marijuana headlines in four minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis News. This is your Cannabis Headline News for Monday, March 20th, 2017. U.S. Senator Joe Manchin, a Democrat from West Virginia, said that he's been asked about marijuana at several town hall meetings recently and that he's, quote, willing to learn, end quote, about cannabis's potential role in reducing opioid issues. I'm more receptive to finding out medical marijuana, what role it can play and how it can help people with their care. But the senator was met with booze when he brought up the long-debunked theory that recreational marijuana is a gateway drug to heroin abuse. Usually 9 out of 10 of them will tell me, how'd you, I always ask, how'd you get started with, uh, on your addiction? They all tell me. When I traveled to the addiction centers, they said they started with medical, I'm not medical, but with just recreational marijuana. They said then turns into harder stuff. Judges may have to decide whether five bills that Governor Susanna Martinez vetoed during the last week will actually become law. On Friday, the deputy to Democratic Secretary of State Maggie Toulouse-Oliver said her office would not add the bills to the law books unless instructed by a court. Democratic lawmakers argue that the governor erred by initially vetoing the legislation without any explanation. The state constitution says that when a governor vetoes a bill, quote, he shall return it to the house in which it originated with his objections, end quote. By not stating her objections, Democratic Senator Joseph Cervantes said the governor's vetoes were not valid. Martinez finally sent a message to lawmakers on Thursday evening regarding the vetoes, but Cervantes said it was too late. New Mexico's governor has three days to veto bills when the legislature is in session. That deadline lapsed on the five bills by the time Martinez issued her message stating why she rejected the bills, Cervantes said. The Arkansas House has approved legislation to ban the smoking of medical marijuana in places where tobacco smoking is also prohibited. Republican Representative Robin Lundstrom's bill advanced out of the House on an 88 to nothing vote Friday and now goes to the state Senate for consideration. 
Lundstrom says the intent of the measure is to bring the state in line with the Federal Clean Air Act. Arkansas voters legalized medical marijuana in November. The proposal bans smoking medical marijuana everywhere that tobacco smoking is already banned, in the presence of someone under the age of 14, and inside a vehicle. Under the bill, knowingly smoking medical marijuana in the presence of a pregnant woman would be prohibited. The measure also prohibits those under 21 from smoking medical marijuana. 16 people have been indicted and accused of running a massive homegrown marijuana operation in the greater Denver area. Authorities say that over about three years, the group used houses in places like Colorado Springs, Elbert County, and Denver to cultivate marijuana and then make big dollar deals to sell it in Illinois, Arkansas, Minnesota, and Missouri, the Denver Post reported Friday. Law enforcement officers from Colorado Springs to Denver worked with the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration and federal prosecutors on the case. Authorities over the past year have been focusing on cracking down on marijuana being illegally grown in homes for out-of-state sale. Barbara Roach, chief of the DEA's Denver division, said her office is working on several similar cases that are pending indictments. Backers of legalized recreational marijuana are urging Massachusetts legislators to hold off on any major changes to the voter-approved law. The appeal came as a special legislative committee reviewing the law opened hearings at the Statehouse on Monday. Members of the group that led the November ballot initiative that made Massachusetts one of the eight states where recreational marijuana use by adults is now legal said lawmakers should wait until a state regulatory board can review the law and make its own recommendations. The board, known as the Cannabis Control Commission, has yet to be appointed. The legislature is weighing a possible increase in the current 12% maximum tax rate on marijuana sales and other issues, including the potency of marijuana products and local control of pot shops. Governor Dennis Dalgard has approved a bill meant to allow people in South Dakota with a prescription to use a non-intoxicating compound found in marijuana if it's approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Dowgard said on Friday he'd signed the bill and it excludes cannabidiol, if it receives FDA approval, from the definition of marijuana in state law and classifies it as a Schedule IV controlled substance that could be prescribed. This has been your Cannabis Headline News for Monday, March 20th, 2017. I'm Russ Belville. In the interest of fair and balanced journalism, the Russ Belleville Show presents the anti-drug public service announcement of the day. Look at me, busy as a bee. Where'd I get all this energy? Oh, man, man. I don't sleep and I don't eat, but I've got the cleanest house on the street. Oh, man, man. Get these hairs all out. This has been the Russ Belleville Show's anti-drug public service announcement of the day, exclusively on RadicalRust.com. At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of The Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. You're listening to The Russ Belleville Show. I think that as far as drug legalization, we talk about marijuana and uh, in terms of medical 
I think I am basically for that. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Tokers, there's no good reason to get your dog stoned. While it might not harm them physically, imagine being a dog who already begs for treats all day, and then imagine that dog having the munchies. Not cool. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we take a look at a piece by Tom Angel out at MassRoots, Vermont Legal Marijuana Bill Struggles. You can find it at MassRoots.com. And it illustrates another example of the hypocrisy we find from Kevin Sabet and Project Samuel, the smart approaches to marijuana use, except legalization. So these guys at Project Sam... For the longest time, their mantra has been Big Tobacco 2.0, that the commercialization of marijuana was a big problem. And it's the latest offensive they've put together in trying to thwart state marijuana reform efforts. They've largely given up on the medical marijuana issue. They'll still pay lip service to it by saying that it should be certain cannabinoids, you know, extracts, it should be uh, pharmaceuticalized, and they'll oftentimes point that uh, finger at opium, you know, we don't uh, smoke opium, we use morphine and so forth. But not so much anymore with medical marijuana enjoying 93% public support. Also, they've gone away from their old argument of for every $1 in taxes you get from alcohol and tobacco, it costs $10 in social costs because now that Colorado and Washington have brought in $200 million in taxes, it's kind of hard to point point out $2 billion in social costs. So a lot of their arguments have fallen by the wayside in favor of this latest offensive, which is the Big Tobacco 2.0. The Big Marijuana is going to be like Big Tobacco. It's going to lie about its product. It's going to entice the youth and so forth. And in defending that, in defending that position, when asked about it, Kevin Sabet will oftentimes paint himself as a moderate with this kind of Goldilocks approach. You know, prohibition is too hard, but legalization is too soft, and this is just right. And when he does that, he uh, will often bring up that, oh, I don't have a problem if someone wants to just uh, grow weed in their uh, basement, right? Here's a quote that uh, Kevin Sabet said last year. This was just last year when they were discussing this support. He said, quote, You could grow a plant at home, actually. You could home grow. You could do gifting. You could do a kind of decriminalization where we basically turn the other way, end quote. And that's his opposition to the big uh, marijuana model. He's saying we don't want the commercialization uh, as far as, you know, if you're just a 40-year-old guy wants to smoke pot in your basement as long as you're not driving my car or driving my kid's school bus or piloting a plane. It's all up to you. I'm actually paraphrasing stuff he has said to me face to face. Okay? I've run into him at uh, the United Nations last year, ran into him. I tailed him all around this state in October of 2014. And I, in 2014... Oregon was going with our legalization, our commercial legalization. At the same time, Washington, D.C. was going forth with their Initiative 71, which is the grow and give legalization. You can grow some plants. You can possess your marijuana. You can smoke it. You can give some to other people. 
but there's no buying and selling. There's no commercial marijuana. There's no big tobacco 2.0. And I cornered them on that when there was a question and answer session in one of the states or one of the cities on the tour in 2014. I, I asked him, so, so Kevin, you're, you're all against this big commercial marijuana entity that we're proposing. In Washington, D.C., they're proposing grow and give, no commercial entity, just decriminalization. And you constantly say that, you know, people who use marijuana shouldn't be thrown in prison, thrown in jail, given criminal records. This does that without any sort of commercial model. So do you support Initiative 71 in Washington, D.C.? And would you like to see Oregon go more that model? And he hemmed and he hawed and he stuttered and he stammered and he basically said a bunch of yada, yada, yada uh, about uh, how Washington, D.C., the grow and give system was just a Trojan horse because the council really wanted to do legalization with commercialization, but they can't do that in the same thing because they're controlled by Congress. Okay. So when I've confronted him on this, he's oftentimes said, that this grow and give model, that this that the his main objection is this commercialization. So in Vermont this year, this is just going on, and this is uh, again in the Maastricht's piece that uh, Tom Angels put up. The House Judiciary Committee had a bill H one seventy on its agenda for this Wednesday. Non commercial marijuana, just legalized low level possession. Just legalized home cultivation of just, I think it was like just a couple plants. It wasn't even a, a whole lot, right? No regulated sales, no billboards, no gummy bears, none of that, right? So it was supposed to be on the agenda for Wednesday. And several advocates, according to uh, Tom, says several advocates in Montpelier told Mass Roots in recent days that they expected it to easily pass. However... The agenda, the legislation was stripped from the agenda without explanation and not added back. And it's not listed for any of next week's committee meetings either. That's a problem because Friday is the key crossover deadline by which bills are supposed to emerge from the originating committee onto the floor. End quote. That's uh, Tom Angel writing that. So the Vermont Coalition to Regulate Marijuana, the, this is the MPP group there. It's telling everybody, you know, contact your legislators on this. And what's going on here is that the bill is getting opposed by Project Sam. Yeah, uh, Patrick Kennedy, the former congressman from Rhode Island, he's co-founder of Project Sam, wrote to the committee members on the Sam letterhead, urging them to oppose the bill, saying, quote, it would create a large black mar market that could take generations to undo and endanger the health and safety of Vermont communities, end quote. It could create a large black market in Vermont? Have you been to Vermont? Do you know people in Vermont? There is already a huge marijuana market in Vermont. The National Survey on Drug Use and Health numbers come out show Vermont to consistently be in the top five states for adult use of marijuana. We, uh, The Rand Corporation, uh, Tom points out the Rand Corporation found the market in uh, Vermont is already $125 to $225 million per year. <laughs> this is, it would create legalization is suddenly going to create a black market in marijuana. Okay, sure. Also in the Project Sam uh, letter from Kennedy is, quote, 
Legislation would also invite organized criminal groups to take advantage of the law to hide in plain sight, as they have done in other states with similar provisions for home cultivation. Such a law would also encourage additional marijuana youth use by young people, encourage drug driving on Vermont's road, and marijuana use on the job. End quote. Wow. So the hide in plain sight. If we let people grow at home, they'll hide in plain sight, and that'll invite the organized criminal groups. This is the push. This is part of the push by the people that know legalization is going to happen. They know they're behind when it comes to the hearts and minds of the American people that people do not support a criminal approach to marijuana anymore. So they're going to make it suck as much as they can. And one of the ways they want to do that is to make sure we can't grow at home. They hate the idea of us growing at home. And it's not because organized criminal groups are going to take advantage of this. It's because people that grow at home don't pay taxes on marijuana. That's the main point there. And as this push comes, as this continued frame by our opponents that homegrown marijuana equals criminal marijuana, as that continues to grow, it is going to impact the states that currently allow home grow. We've already seen it in uh, Washington state, in Oregon, where the medical marijuana grow limits were severely curtailed. In Colorado now, we're seeing it where they're trying to reduce that maximum 99 plant limit down. Some of the cities already have it, like Denver's got like a 12 plant limit, I believe. And this recent bust in Colorado that we just told you about in the news, where they find all these major grow house operations going on, that's not going to help matters either. The fight to home grow cannabis for us to be able to grow our own cannabis plants is going to be the most important battle of marijuana reform in this decade. I understand there's other battles that we're fighting. Some states are farther ahead on these issues, like when we're talking here in Oregon about workplace rights and for medical marijuana states talking about people's organ transplant rights, their employment rights, their housing rights. These are all very important. But it's important, I think more important, for all of the groups and all of the different entities within marijuana reform to begin to recognize that fight for home grow is the fight. That's the big fight we've got going on right now. Because the fight against it is going to come from the marijuana industry that doesn't want people uh, competing with their profits, putting them uh, at less market share. It's going to come from the government's that don't want to lose out on the tax revenue that they'd be getting if people weren't home growing. So we've got to fight right now for this home grow right and point out that it is a civil liberty. It's really a civil liberty. If you consider that our forefathers, the founding fathers of this country were hemp farmers, lived in an agrarian society, everything had to do with agriculture. They must have believed it was one of our inalienable natural rights bestowed by our creator to plant seeds and sow crops on our own land with the nature, with what nature provides to us. It's obvious to me that this is at least covered under the Ninth Amendment of the Constitution, and if not, the spirit of the Declaration of Independence and the history of our founding fathers. It is our heritage to be able to grow cannabis in this country. So for Project Sam and these opponents, the Kevin Sabets and the Patrick Kennedys of the world that continue to put on this two-faced act that's not fooling anybody to try to claim to be compassionate, we don't want to lock up pot smokers, but you sure still want to lock up the pot growers. 
Opposing this bill in Vermont is inexcusable. It is exactly what you want. The end of the persecution of the cannabis consumer and no big commercial marijuana entity getting involved in it. No commercialization, no advertising. It's the grow and give system. Give it a chance, Vermont. It's curious why they'd pull this bill when it seemed to have so much popular support. I wonder how much influence Patrick Kennedy actually has on that Vermont legislature. I experimented with marijuana a time or two and didn't New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. This is not medicine. This is a Cheech and Chong show. All right. Maybe you're high, too. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. (coughs) Or at least they aim you. Hey, this is great, man. A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. Marijuana is an addictive drug which produces in its users insanity, criminality, and death. Marijuana is the most violence-causing drug in the history of mankind. If the hideous monster Frankenstein came face-to-face with the monster of marijuana, he dropped it from fright. You know, it's not easy countering seven decades of propaganda in a two-hour show, but let's try. It's time for the Russ Belleville Show's Reefer Madness Debunked. Today in Reefer Madness Debunked, we're going to take a deeper look at the comments by U.S. Senator Joe Manchin, a Democrat from West Virginia, proving that Reefer Madness is truly a bipartisan condition that can afflict anybody. This is video from a town hall meeting. This is off of C-SPAN. Town hall meeting that he held this Saturday when he was asked by one of his constituents uh, his opinions about the uh, medical use of marijuana, about marijuana legalization, and it was in the context of a discussion about the opioid epidemic. And a nice little note on this is that his daughter is the CEO of a pharmaceutical company that produces opioids. So just so you have that context. But this is U.S. Senator Joe Manchin and uh, his recent discussion at the U.S. Uh, the West Virginia Town Hall meeting. There's a bi- balance. As far as the marijuana, here's what we said about marijuana. Uh, there's people that want recreational marijuana. And the only thing I can tell you is I go to all of these different uh, treatment centers and these clinics and addiction centers where people have been addicted. They, usually nine out of ten of them will tell me, how'd you, I always ask, how would you get started with, uh, on your addiction? They all tell me. Uh, that's. Well, let me just say this. Let me say this, that this is exactly so. Uh, so so this is exactly in the other three. And people don't 
don't think that's true. They, so I'm trying to learn about it, but I'm telling you what I find out when I travel to the addiction centers. They say they started with medical, I'm not medical, but with just recreational marijuana. They said then turns into harder stuff. And I know you're saying it. I know, I know. I'm trying to find out too, and I'm trying to learn. So she says, what have I learned? Well, I've learned since Thursday that, that mer- medical marijuana, there, there's a lot of good assets and attributes that it can help. So if that's the case, we're looking at that. I'm talking to doctors, and we'll be going back to Washington, doing research on this, finding out doctors and how they feel about it. What's the side effects? What can it do? Can it basically, is it addict people? Does it basically, can you get off of it? Or is it the same as basically you're going to need treatment centers later for it too? I don't know, but we're going to find out. So we're trying everything we can. I'm more, I've said this, what I know about just marijuana, recreational marijuana, I would not be in favor or support legalizing recreational marijuana. That's just me. And I know that, trust me, it's the same in all, in all three other town halls, it's the same. People feel the same about that. So with that, and I know they say, well, Colorado made a lot of money and this and that, uh, and prohibition didn't work. So I've heard every, for the last three days, I've heard a little bit of everything. And we'll take all that in consideration. That's what this is all about. It's for me to under, to understand your concerns and to learn more about it. I can only tell you what I know, and it might not be enough to be, have the conversation you want, but I'm willing to learn. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not acceptable uh, to the recreational marijuana and legalizing marijuana. I'm more receptive to finding out medical marijuana and what role it can play and how it can help people with their care. That's U.S. Senator Joe Manchin. He's uh, speaking in uh, West Virginia on Saturday uh, on the opiate epidemic and I got to say, for those of you that are listening on the podcast, you didn't get to see the video of that. I was so just overjoyed when not only did he get the booze when he came up with, you know, started talking about the gateway theory, started hearing booze from the crowd. But the video pans out and shows them, obviously, at these town hall meetings, they hand out uh, these little placards, these little, uh, you know, like those old fans with the stick, stick in a piece of paper kind of thing. At one with a big red X, and the other one with a big green check mark, so that when the senator says things, they can hold up, you know, they approve or disapprove. Everybody's holding up the big red X's when the when the guy is talking about the gateway theory. It was just phenomenal that nobody is letting these senators get away with promulgating the gateway theory myth. It's just wonderful. So uh, we did get some decent. Uh, uh, Medical marijuana acceptance from him. I mean, he did say it's got uh, medical marijuana. There, there's a lot of good assets and attributes yeah. that it can help. Assets and attributes. I love that. This is again those people that can't just bring themselves to say using this plant could be medicinal. Oh, maybe there's parts in it. Maybe we can get some things out of it, uh, some molecules out of it. Just use the plant. There's nothing wrong with just using the whole plant. And, of course, he's against the uh, recreational legalization completely. What I know about just marijuana, recreational marijuana, I would not be in favor or support legalizing recreational marijuana. So, you know, again, West Virginia, we're not going to expect someone, even a Democrat, to be on our side when it comes to legalization of marijuana. But this, uh, this continued reliance on the gateway theory is something that is uh, got to just go by the wayside. We've got to finally end that idea. The 1999 Institute of Medicine report looked into this and concluded there is no causal relationship between the use of marijuana and the 
further use of other drugs in the future. Marijuana use does tend to precede other drug use, but so does nicotine use or alcohol use, or even for that matter, drinking milk. It's a problem of looking the wrong direction. Uh, you're looking at the final result and trying to extrapolate where that came from by, co- by commonality. It'd be like me looking at a group of Hells Angels bikers and asking them, well, what was the first two-wheeled vehicle that you ever rode? And they say a little, you know, training wheels bike. Oh, my God, don't get your kids training wheels bikes. It'll lead to them being Hells Angels. It sounds silly when you put it that way, doesn't it? Sure, almost everyone that started on, that used heroin started on marijuana. The only thing that marijuana and heroin have in common is they're both Schedule 1 drugs. It's the scheduling that brings people together in that relationship, not the plant itself. We'll be back with Dr. Mitch Earlywine right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. You know Herb Thrasher from the Herb Thrasher Flower Hour. Now get ready for Herb Age Designs for the proud cannabis consumer. Herb Age Designs, lifestyle gear for the 420 friendly. Herb Age Designs, we've got Frisbee golf discs and durable hemp gear. Herb Age Designs, we've got shot glasses, drinking glasses, coffee mugs, and beer cozies. Check us out on Facebook and online at HerbAgeDesigns.com. And follow Herb Age and Herb Thrasher on Twitter. Get the latest updates on the Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking the Russ Belleville Show on Facebook. Warning. It's taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. It's time for the Russ Belleville Show's Cannabis Q&A with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Dr. Earlywine is a professor of psychology at the State University of New York at Albany and a leading author and researcher on cannabinoids and health who pins the Ask Dr. Mitch column for High Times Magazine. All right, welcome back, everybody. Time for our cannabis Q and A with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. How you doing, Dr. Mitch? Oh, crazy day. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Glad to have you here on this first day of spring. It's the vernal equinox, and uh, that's got to be good for something, right? You know, it's great for <laughs> sun and, and uh, dark combo. <laughs> there we go. Uh, we've got a bunch of studies to get to. I'm also paying attention to the uh, folks in the chat room. If you've got any questions for Dr. Mitch, just uh, put them up in the chat and uh, we'll be glad to get right to them. But uh, I wanted to start off with this study that they uh, found, this cannabis business group that uh, came out with this information that found that legalization of marijuana was becoming a factor in decreasing beer sales. They found it so far in Colorado, Oregon, and in Washington State. And I was wondering what you thought about that, both from a health perspective as Dr. Mitch, but also from a normal perspective of how that might affect the fight for legalization. Well, it's been curious because it's not total alcohol sales. It's only beer. And so it does say something about who is potentially using cannabis as a substitute, and I think from a health perspective, 
there's, you know, certainly uh, an extra safety using cannabis compared to, say, binge drinking beer. And beer doesn't have some of the uh, health benefits that we've seen, say, with the red wine literature. The whole thing, though, does make me fear that big beer companies and even some of the small ones might start resisting legalization. And I really want to encourage them and even, uh, you know, ask everybody who's who's buying an ace to go ahead and pick up a six pack, even if they only drink them one at a time, (laughs) because I just would hate to have these guys working against us when we've made so much progress. Well, we saw some evidence of that in the 2016 election where some of the beer distributors, I think it was distributors in Massachusetts, uh, ponied up some money against their uh, their measure in Massachusetts. And then some gaming industry dollars in Nevada where they uh, they opposed it as well. So we might have some new enemies to have to fight. It's strange, too, because the gaming links really aren't there. And I, I don't know if they think they're taking some kind of super moral stance or what. Uh, nobody plays poker worse than somebody really stoned. And <laughs> I just can't imagine that uh, they've got anything to worry about. So that that uh, that funding was a real disappointment to me. We have uh, another uh, report, and I think it's on uh, data that we may have talked about before, but this one's the Daily Mail, which is known for blowing things up way out of proportion. It says that cannabis users are four times more likely to suffer a stroke uh, or heart uh, problems. Uh, Again, what can we uh, tell folks to not fear about this news? Well, what's curious is the... The covariates weren't done uh, particularly well on some of these. So if you're a cannabis user who also doesn't exercise, eats a ton of meat, and tends to say, uh, do other things that aren't particularly healthy, well, then we, we wouldn't be stunned, but it's really not the cannabis that's doing that. It's, uh, these, it's sort of serving as a marker for these other behaviors. We do get cannabis-induced tachycardia, as everybody knows. So the heart rate does tend to increase in response to THC. And the key is to make sure, you know, you're using your cannabis wisely and under circumstances where you can stay relaxed and mellow and all in all, just not push yourself if, if you happen to be enjoying the plants at the time. Yeah. And, and again, the making it four times the risk that it's not counting for other factors like your lifestyle, your your uh, your eating habits and so forth. And haven't we seen, though, that uh, cannabis users tend to have better uh, body mass index and eating habits and so forth. I'm wondering how did that not factor in? Well, and in fact, you and you and I first reviewed that. I hate to say it, seven years ago, the very first study linking cannabis use to lower BMI. And I thought, well, I don't know if this is going to replicate. It's now replicated three times in really large data sets. So I do think there's at least a subset of folks who are fans of the plant who are also, uh, you know, really interested in taking good care of themselves and, and eating right. And those folks should buffer that away the four times is also a bit of a a crazy thing to try to interpret because most of these things happen at a rate that's relatively low in the first place good point now uh there's a story here in oregon that i wanted to get your opinion on and it involves a 15 year old uh oregon teen who is leading a campaign to fight against uh the placement of marijuana billboards and advertising throughout oregon uh i'm here in portland and i can attest to the fact that we've got cannabis billboards everywhere you can see buds you can see shatter you can see sales uh, all over in fact the uh corner the busy corner uh near my home has one of those electronic billboards that features moving, flashing, colorful images. I'm just wondering what 
studies we may have on the effect of advertising on the youth when it comes to cannabis, because it's so new, I doubt we have much, but uh, what do you make of this and, and what sort of restrictions would you and would normal be comfortable with, if any? To tell you the truth, <clears throat> all we can do is generalize from the tobacco data and it is unfortunate, but it does have a, an impact as far as cigarette sales are concerned. I would hope that uh, responsible billboards would emphasize the things we'd like to get across, like recreational use should be, you know, limited and for fun, and that uh, you want to wait until your brain is developed before you really get into this. I want to leave this up to the local communities, though, because I feel like it's unfair for, you know, one group of, uh, say, a bunch of white men to try to decide all this for for the, the entire country. If you happen to live somewhere where everybody is relatively pro-cannabis, pro already generally of age, and wants to have the occasional billboard, that's completely your call. And if you can convince everybody else in your community that's fine, then by all means do it. In contrast, uh, folks who are in you know situations where they're um, primarily a, a family neighborhood and they see uh, this as an issue that they don't want to expose their kids to before they start the conversation, I feel like that's got to be up to them as well. So the idea that one size fits all just never really appealed to me as far as this was concerned. So uh, what about uh, proposals on keeping, say, the billboards away? I know Washington State, you can't keep them. You can't have them within a thousand feet of a school or a playground or anything like that. Maybe some some sort of restriction like that. I mean, I think that's perfectly reasonable, but I, I do, I do uh, want to leave it up to the citizens who are right there. So as soon as they start saying, well, what about, you know, 500 feet around a church, and then what is a church? And I mean, it, it gets to some kind of hair-splitting sure. uh, stuff, and, and I, would, I would hate to have my decision apply to a community where it, it may really not be relevant. I saw a piece online that was discussing the possibility of cannabis as a treatment or even a cure for Alzheimer's and dementia. These, of course, affect a lot of seniors and even other folks get dementia. So I'm wondering what is the latest status on that claim? Is is cannabis the hope for those diseases? So it turns out the antioxidant properties and the neuroprotective properties are very real and seem to keep replicating. But once there's been serious neurological damage, you can't undo that. Mm. So I do, uh, you know, emphasize that cannabis can help folks who are already diagnosed with Alzheimer's maintain their appetite, generally have a good mood, be less combative as far as uh, their day goes, but it's not going to regenerate their brains. In contrast, low doses at regular intervals early in life may be neuroprotective, and some of the animal literature suggests that's the case. If you do have Alzheimer's in your family, happen to enjoy the plant anyway, uh, it'd be great for you to go <laughs> volunteer to have an IQ test taken and, and to uh, sort of keep, keep up with that every few years and see how you do, because I do feel like those data are going to be necessary before we can draw con conclusions that are really firm. But it seems like we've got a real chance here Although it's certainly not going to fix the disorder once it's already set in, it may delay onset in a meaningful way. 
Mm, that's good news. All right, let's talk about this. This is a, a, something I've known since 2007 when I first met LV Musica, uh, but it's just getting hitting the mainstream media that government weed is swag, which is kind of funny considering I used to grow up and they talk about the G13 strain the government was growing. So uh, uh, what do you think about this revelation of the U.S. Department's, uh, U.S. government's uh, pot farm being substandard and, and really not quality marijuana for research. I mean, both LV and Urban Rosenfeld have emphasized this time and again, and uh, the big step forward for the National Institute of Drug Abuse uh, cannabis that you could get for research federally is to get it up to 8% THC, which, I mean, we couldn't help but chuckle when, you know, you can go to any dispensary in almost any legal state and find things uh, two to three times that strong. And I really kind of want to weep because it means you've got more exposure to the the parts that are really not relevant. So poor Urban gets that, you know, giant can of joints every month, but he's just supposed to smoke all that, even though if he had something markedly stronger, he could take two puffs and get the same effect as a whole joint of, of that material. You don't want all those respiratory irritants going into your body. And the fact is, stronger pot does require less in order to get uh, the desired medical effects. And in the long one, really is a, a harm reduction technique. So before we go, the sky is falling. Oh, my God, it's so strong. We might actually say, hooray, it's so strong. We don't have to smoke so much and, and we can get the medical impact. Yeah, it's it's it. Dr. Sue Sisley is is using that uh, marijuana right now. Is FDA approved researcher testing on uh, vets with uh, PTSD. And, uh, you know, when we're talking about marijuana that's of such low quality, it brings into question, you know, how much we can really extrapolate from what we learn. Is is this still going to be beneficial data that we get from these trials, even with it being such bad weed? Oh, I do think that we are going to notice the impact on cannabis symptoms, much like some of the stuff that she has mentioned in some of my own publications. It's just that it's going to require larger doses, and unfortunately, it's going to lead to dropout, and nobody really wants to talk about that. But in all honesty, if you can get good cannabis underground, and then you volunteer for this study and get this swag, why wouldn't you drop out? Yeah. Hmm, interesting. All right, we have a question from the chat room that wants to uh, ask about the benefits of cannabis on Parkinson's disease. We were just talking about Alzheimer's and dementia. How about Parkinson's? Parkinson's is in a different um, neurotransmitter system, and it's dopaminergic. So you do see uh, interesting decreases in seizure in a subset of folks who uh, who use it, but it doesn't seem to be acting uh, at least directly in that dopaminergic system. So it doesn't seem to have the promise for a cure that it may have for, for some uh, other neurological problems. Okay. And our final uh, report that we had to get to today, uh, another report on the spice K2 synthetic cannabinoids, but this one linking them to violent behavior, aggressive behavior. Uh, what is the latest study on this telling us? Well, so we, we've got animal data now uh, <clears throat> suggesting that, you can't really mess around with this CD1 receptor and expect nothing to happen. And unfortunately, these spice-type drugs are not uh, partial agonists the way THE is. It's not that it adds a nice lightning firing of this. It's a hardcore, rapid-fire, uh, you know, beyond metaphor, but basically saying, ooh, I want to look at a sparkler 
and suddenly you're firing a giant bomb, you know. So, so uh, of course you see some pretty outrageous behavior on this, and now both Animal and some human reports are confirming that this leads to such erratic behavior that it can lead to violence if the, if the person or the animal is basically misinterpreting the, the situation. Wow. Well, only prohibition could come up with a way to make cannabinoids harmful to people, huh? Sad but true. Sad but true. Dr. Mitch Earlywine is the host of Burning Issues podcast on CannabisRadio.com. Check that out uh, every week and get yourself some more cannabis science. And joins us every Monday here on the Cannabis Q&A. Thanks, Dr. Mitch. And uh, if you want to email him, email at 420research at gmail.com. And uh, we'll talk to you next week, sir. Thanks so much. All right. Stay tuned, folks. When we come back, we've got time for a radical rant on once and for all... Hemp-derived CBD oil is illegal. We'll break it down for you next. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Get your tickets now for the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference happening one day only in Eugene, Oregon on Friday, April 28th. You'll learn all about the latest OLCC regulations for adult-use cannabis, including testing requirements, tech and branding, taxes and distribution, and the latest developments in medical marijuana regulations. OMBC features networking with Oregon's leading experts in marijuana, including State Senator Floyd Przanski. You'll also get to hear from author, actor, and punk rock icon Henry Rollins delivering the keynote address. Early bird pricing is available for conference-only and VIP passes, which gets you access to the VIP networking events featuring Henry Rollins and other speakers. It's the 2017 Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. Tickets available now at OregonMBC.com. That's OregonMBC.com before April 14th to get your early bird pricing. OregonMBC.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. Drugs take away the dream from every child's heart and replace it with a nightmare. Okay, maybe you're high, too. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. (coughs) Or at least they... Amy to say that. That sucks. I hate Yeah. <laughs> A public service message from the Rust Belleville Show. Total war against public enemy public number, number one. Ten federal criminal penalties for the one ounce of marijuana. Marijuana is probably the most dangerous drug. Legalization is just another word for surrender. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. This is not medicine. This is a cheat and chong show. Encourage people to use less drugs. I am here. That was that was the point. I think we'd be a mistake to legalize. Negative reports coming out of Colorado. Don't smoke marijuana. Once and for all, CBD oil is not legal in all 50 states. Ever since Dr. Sanjay Gupta brought to the world the story of little Charlotte Figi, the Colorado girl with severe epilepsy who found relief from using cannabidiol, CBD, there's been an explosion of companies hawking what they call 
hemp-derived CBD oil, which they claim is legal in all 50 states. It's not. At least, that's what the DEA is telling us in its latest clarification on this issue. According to one manufacturer, their, quote, CBD oil extracted from hemp plants grown in Northern Europe is legal because, quote, hemp oil has been a legal import to the United States for decades, end quote. Notice how one reference to, quote, CBD oil, end quote, is supported by the legality of, quote, hemp oil, end quote. CBD oil manufacturers often muddy the waters with references to industrial hemp. Quote, CBD, and even THC, found naturally in hemp products, one manufacturer claims, are legal at the U.S. federal level because hemp consumer products are legal at the federal level, end quote. Well, yes, indeed, hemp oil has been legal for decades. In the early 2000s, the DEA tried to ban hemp food products due to their trace THC content. In the 2004 case, Hemp Industries Association versus DEA, the court found that Congress banned marijuana with an H. The feds still maintain the spelling used in the original Marijuana Tax Act of 1937 and synthetic THC. Therefore, DEA can ban all synthetic THC, but they can only ban natural THC if it is within or extracted from marijuana as it is defined in the law. As they put it, if Congress wanted natural THC and synthetic THC to be two separate things that could be banned, it would have written it that way by putting synthetic separate from marijuana It indicated that only natural THC within marijuana was under the purview of the Drug Enforcement Administration. Well, that Controlled Substances Act, or CSA, definition is where the CBD oil purveyors find the loopholes they claim to be wiggling through. This is the definition from the law. It reads, quote, The term marijuana means all parts of the plant, cannabis sativa L, whether growing or not, the seeds thereof, the resin extracted from any part of such plant, and every compound, manufacture, salt, derivative, mixture, or preparation of such plant, its seeds or resins, but shall not include the mature stalks of such plant, fiber produced from such stalks, oil or cake made from the seeds of such plant, any other compound, manufacture, salt, derivative, mixture, or preparation of such mature stalks, except the resin extracted therefrom, fiber, oil, or cake, or the sterilized seed of such plant, which is incapable of germination, end quote. I know that's quite a mouthful. It's something that's difficult even when you're reading it, much less hearing it. So let me break this down for you. In other words, according to the legal definition, these seven things are marijuana, live cannabis plants, dead cannabis plants, cannabis seeds, Cannabis resin from any part of the plant, anything that you derive from the plant, anything that you derive from cannabis seeds, anything you derive from cannabis resin. Those seven things are marijuana, and the Controlled Substances Act gives the DEA the power to ban those things. 
But according to that same legal definition, these things are not marijuana. These nine things are not marijuana. Mature cannabis stocks, fiber from cannabis stocks, oil from cannabis seeds, cake or flour made from cannabis seeds, anything you derive from cannabis stocks except resin, anything you derive from fiber from cannabis stocks, anything you derive from oil from cannabis seeds, anything you derive from cake or flour from cannabis seeds, and seeds that are incapable of germination, sterilized seeds. Those are not marijuana, and the DEA cannot ban those things. So, one of these manufacturers explains that they, quote, use the parts of the plant that are not marijuana, the mature stalks, the number eight in that list, and sterilized seeds, the number 16 in the list, in the second part. But the DEA is extremely dubious of that claim. The DEA writes, quote, According to the scientific literature, cannabinoids are not found in the parts of the cannabis plant that are excluded from the CSA definition of marijuana, except for trace amounts, typically only parts per million, that may be found where small quantities of resin adhere to the surface of the seeds and mature stalk. Thus, based on the scientific literature, it is not practical to produce extracts that contain more than trace amounts of cannabinoids using only the parts of the cannabis plant that are excluded from the CSA definition of marijuana, such as oil from the seeds, end quote. There are other attempts to fit CBD through a loophole. They write, quote, cannabidiol is not listed on the Controlled Substances Act CSA drug schedule. End quote. They give that as a defense. And that's technically true. Cannabidiol is not in the Controlled Substances Act. However, within marijuana is anything you derive from the plant, numbers five through seven, anything you derive from the plant, except except for the mature stalks, number 12, and except from the seeds, number 10 and 11. And the DEA is telling us CBD can only be derived from resin, number four, in the flowers and leaves, or when trace amounts of resin stick to the exterior of stalks and seeds. In other words, if you're getting CBD, CBD came from something that is defined as marijuana, either the flower, the leaf, or the resin that's sticking to stems and seeds. Now, the defenders of CBD oil's legality state that, quote, Natural cannabinoids in hemp products are exempt from DEA enforcement, end quote. But that's only true for natural THC. The HIA versus DEA decision worked with THC because Congress defines synthetic THC and marijuana separately. The court wrote, quote, if naturally occurring THC were covered under THC, there would be no need to have a separate category for marijuana, which obviously contains naturally occurring THC. Yet, Congress maintained marijuana as a separate category, end quote. Another defender of CBD oil writes that, quote, hemp that is cultivated in accordance with the farm bill is expressly legal and extracts from such a plant are legal, end quote. Okay, section 7606 of the farm bill did define industrial hemp as cannabis plants with less than 0.3% THC. Hemp plants farmed in Europe are indeed cultivated at less than 0.3% THC. 
The problem, though, is that the Farm Bill's definition of hemp is just an exception to provide that, quote, notwithstanding the Controlled Substances Act, an institution of higher education or a State Department of Agriculture may grow or cultivate industrial hemp if allowed under the laws of the state, end quote. Now, I know that the word notwithstanding is a confusing word. Think of it as although or in spite of the fact that. So this means that the Farm Bill's definition is in essence saying, although cannabis is an illegal plant, we'll let universities and state ag departments grow extremely low THC versions of it. The bill further clarifies that this exception applies if, quote, only institutions of higher education and state departments of agriculture are used to grow or cultivate industrial hemp, end quote. Therefore, if there exists a cannabis plant, regardless of its THC content, anywhere it is grown, the DEA considers it marijuana, unless it was a hemp plant grown by a university or state ag department. Whatever you extract from a hemp plant is marijuana, except what you extract from stalks and seeds, which the DEA says couldn't possibly be CBD unless that came from resin sticking to the stalks and seeds. And all resin from anywhere on any cannabis plant is marijuana. Now, to be perfectly clear, (laughs) I am all for CBD oil. I have seen health miracles occur for people because of CBD oil. I applaud companies that are committing civil disobedience to provide CBD oil to patients. I champion the patients who seek and acquire CBD oil. My only complaint is with those companies that are enticing patients to buy and business owners to sell their product under the illusion that there is nothing illegal about CBD when the DEA clearly believes it is. I know it's not very likely that the DEA is going to start raids over a non-psychoactive product that's visibly curing epileptic kids. This isn't a question about how likely these people are to get busted. It is wrong to sell that product to consumers without fully disclosing the legal risks involved. These people are going to get cannabis oil through the mail. They'll be breaking federal law to do so as this is something the DEA considers marijuana. People who have cannabis oil in their homes in a prohibition state that lacks a CBD oil law could find themselves facing prosecution. It's a possibility. People that go to other states to get it and travel across states that may or may not have these sorts of laws are taking a risk. And I've got no problem with people that want to take a risk, especially when we're talking about people who are desperately trying to save their sick kids. And again, it's a beautiful thing that growers and processors and companies want to step up to help them and take the risk themselves, a bigger risk than what the patients are taking, because those companies are the ones that would be the targets. They are the ones that would have their assets seized. They are the ones that would be looking at serious federal time. But not under the guise of pulling the wool over people's eyes, of continuing to maintain what is a novel legal theory 
but has yet to be proven or tested in the courts. And the current jurisprudence on this suggests that the DEA believes strongly this is illegal and that the courts would agree with them. All right, that's all the time we got for Hour 1. Thank you, podcasters, for listening. Stay tuned, live listeners, for Hour 2. Toker Talk Radio is coming up next. we got all sorts of things to talk about. Big new developments coming for this show. And uh, we got other stories as well. A horrific story about a man boiled to death, a California senior facing hostile crowds, drug war raids in the New York Times, and Oregon violating the coal memo. we got a lot to cover. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. For everyone here at Delta 9 Studios, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, take care of each other, tokers. You take a seat, you panic, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you scroll it. You take a seat, you panic.